Starwalker Studios presents GM Intrusions, the podcast devoted to Numenera and the Strange. And welcome to episode 54 of GM Intrusions, the podcast devoted to Numenera and the Strange. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. Today, I'll revisit the discussion on controlling how players spend their XP. I'm not just playing devil's advocate, I've changed my mind. And under the lens, I'll dig into the tactics of when to spend effort on speed defense and when not to. So grab your dice and get ready to spend some effort. It's time for a GM Intrusion. Opening segment. Hello, listener. Welcome back to the show. Episode 54, season one of GM Intrusions, is quickly drawing to a close. Looks like I will have the next Obsidian Monolith for you and another GM Intrusions. And then I think that will be the end of season one. And then uh, take a little break and give the show a little facelift, and I'll be back with, with season two. So first of all, I want to apologize for not getting Obsidian Monolith number 5 out last week, like I I said that I would. I'm still working on it, but it should be out this week on Thursday, so you can look forward to that. I also wanted to thank everybody for your birthday wishes uh, yesterday. I'm recording this on Tuesday. Really appreciate that. It was really great to hear from everybody. And yes, I had a, a very happy birthday, so thank you very much. Actually, an interesting thing, uh, this year I did not age at all. <laughs> I thought I was a year older than I actually was this past year. So when I did the math to verify how old I was going to be, I realized that I was turning the age I thought I already was. So I, I've done some some temporal hijinks there and managed not to age this year, which is awesome. Just wanted to remind you real quick that the Obsidian Monolith shirts are still available they're going to be available for another week. Uh, I believe it's October 14th is the last day that you'll be able to get that. And I think it ends like noon Eastern time. So if you want one, I would not wait until the 14th or you might miss it. But go ahead and head on over to starwalkerstudios.com slash GM intrusions and you can find the link in the show notes to the t-shirts and check them out and and see if you want one we have men's shirts women's fitted shirts and even a sweatshirt and we have a few different colors that that you can choose from they're pretty cool my wife nikki designed them and if this goes well we'll be doing a gm intrusions shirt in the future so hopefully we can do that that would be awesome and again thank you to the patrons for making this possible and giving us the ability to take the time to design these and set these up and everything. Um, it's something we really wanted to do and some of the listeners really wanted, and I'm really glad that, that we can make it happen. And again, it's due to the patrons that, that we can do stuff like this. I just wanted to make you aware of a couple new things from Monty Cook Games. They have released a couple how-to play videos 
So there's one for Numenera and there's one for The Strange, and those are on YouTube. I will have them linked in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com slash Intrusions. And these are played by Monty Cook and Shauna Germain and Bruce Cordell and Jen Page. And the Numenera one is Monty running a game. And the strange one is Bruce running a game. So you get to see each of them in action as game master or storyteller. And I haven't had a chance to look at the strange one yet. It just came out yesterday. But I did watch the Numenera one and it was really great. And... I get a lot of emails and Google Plus messages from new listeners who are also new to the game and a lot of times new to role playing in general. I get a lot of questions from new GMs and these videos are for you guys that are that are new to this. You can kind of see how the game is played, how it's run, how the system works. Uh, it's just the very basics, uh, definitely enough to get you going for your first session, but they don't get into all the nitty gritty stuff, which which is appropriate. You know, you don't want to overwhelm people. And and that's the thing, especially with the cipher system. You know, if you have bought the Numenera book or you've bought the Strange book and you're really wanting to run something and you've got ideas and you're ready to go, but you're not sure when you're ready, you're ready now. <laughs> you don't have to get everything, quote unquote, right the first time. You don't have to use every rule the first time. You don't have to use every optional rule the first time. Just start playing and you and your players can figure it out as you go and have a lot of fun doing so. This is this is a game. We do it for fun. It's not a competitive thing. You know, it, it's you don't have to do it perfect. And what is perfect anyway? I, I don't think anybody you know, any two people run the game exactly the same. We all put our own little spin on it. That's just part of what an RPG is, I think. And so don't worry about it. Just have fun with it. And, you know, you don't even have to do GM intrusions, for instance. You can run many sessions without ever using a GM intrusion, get a handle on the system, and then start throwing those in. But again, everybody's going to be different. Some, some of you may... You know, the intrusion is the easy part for you and you're doing GM intrusions right out the gate. And that's awesome too. But just have fun with the game and and don't worry about it. But you can watch these videos and get a very good feel for how a role-playing game is played, how it's run, and also how these specific games are done. So there is one other thing I wanted to talk about in the opening segment today. So for those of you who've been with me for a while, um, actually, it hasn't been that long, but on a previous episode not too long ago, I talked a bit about experience in the Cypher system and how you can use experience in these games for other things other than just character advancement. For instance, you can spend XP to re-roll rolls. You can spend XP for other benefits like learning a language or creating an artifact or learning a temporary or limited use skill, things like that. And in that episode, I proposed using one of the optional rules in the system, which is to kind of control as GM what your PCs use experience for and to take about half of that XP and say, you can only use this for short and medium term benefits. You can't use this for advancement and you can't use this for long term benefits. 
And in that episode, I said that I was for this because after a year of running Numenera for many different groups, for many different people, and also playing Numenera and the Strange, I've never really seen people use XP for non-advancement the way the book says that you're quote-unquote supposed to, right? The book says you're quote-unquote supposed to use about half of your XP for non-advancement. And I do see people use XP for re-rolls and I see that more and more. And it's something, you know, when I have a new group with new players that I've never played with before and maybe have never played Numenera or The Strange before, it's something I have to sometimes teach them. And at the beginning, they're reluctant to spend XP for re-rolls, but usually they all come around and they're all, you know, sometimes spending three or four XP at a time to get one important role to go off properly. So I see that happen all the time, but I do not see people spend two XP for the short or medium term benefits. And I don't often see people spending the three XP for the long term benefits. So in that previous episode, I took this to mean that, well, we as GMs really need to enforce this to get the players to quote unquote play the game right. Right. And that's kind of the position I came from. I'd heard from from more than one person who do it this way and it works for them. And, you know, like I said, I've not seen players spending half their XP on this other stuff. And so I thought, well, you know, the players just need to come around. They're used to all these other games where XP is just used for advancement. And I need to to bring them around by kind of forcing them to do this. So I tried it. I've been running a relatively new campaign for the patrons. So I believe it's tier five patrons in the GM Intrusions patron system. I run a a game for them every month. It's an ongoing Numenera campaign and, you know, players may come and go, but the, the story is continuous. And this was a new campaign. I just started a couple months ago and I was like, well, I'm going to try this because in my other games I've run, I've been very much not controlling this expenditure of XP and I just let my players do whatever the hell they want. And so I tried it (laughs) and I literally tried it for one session. It was our second patron session and I came in and I said, hey guys, I'm going to do this new thing where I want you to keep two XP pools, keep track of two pools. One of those is your XP that you get from GM intrusions during the game. And that XP pool, you can only use for the short and medium term benefits. You can only use that for things that cost you one or two XP. And then I want you to keep a separate pool of the story and discovery XP that I give you at the end of the session for discoveries and figuring out artifacts And that pool of XP is the only XP you can use for advancement and the long-term benefits. And again, this is an optional system given in both the Numenera and Strange Core books. And I said, you know, I haven't seen players spending half and half like they're quote-unquote supposed to. And so this is a way to basically force you to do that. And I want to try this out and see how it works. So we did the one session And this was online, so I didn't really get a really good feel for how the players felt about this. You know, if I would have been in a room with them, I could have gauged their reaction to kind of guess at least if if they were okay with this or if it kind of irked them or whatever. But it was online, so I really couldn't tell. 
But I could tell that I wasn't super happy with it. I'm the kind of GM I like to say yes to my players. You know, obviously, if they come up with something really harebrained that defies the laws of physics, I'm, I'm not going to say yes. But I try to say yes as much as I can. And I think that Numenera is very much a game that supports that that kind of style. And and it just really rubbed me the wrong way to do this. And so over the next month, I guess, before the next session, I really thought about it and when we played our last session, I said, you know what, guys, you know that thing I said about keeping track of two pools and all that? Forget it. I was like, you have one XP pool. All your XP I give you goes into that. doesn't matter where it comes from. And you can use that XP for anything you want. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Play your character the way you want. And so basically, I've completely reversed my position on this. I've completely changed my mind. And I thought this could be interesting to talk about on the show because not only am I just playing devil's advocate here and saying now I'm going to present the opposite side of the argument, but I myself have have actually changed my mind. And in the previous episode, I was very much for controlling this and now I'm not. And I thought I would explain my reasons and it'd be interesting to hear from you what you think about all this. So the first thing that came to mind is... I don't want to track this, okay? This immediately becomes kind of a pain in the ass because instead of just having, you know, your XP, you now have two separate pools of XP on your character sheet and you need to keep track of, you know, this XP came from intrusions and this XP was story awards and you need to keep track of that and you you need to, you know, remember which is which and say, you know, this I can use for this and this I can use for that. And I'm... I, I've been, I've been a manager at at more than one job or or a a supervisor of some sort at more than one job throughout my life many times, and you know one thing I've learned that's that's part of leadership is you don't make rules that you're not going to enforce. Um, it's just for many reasons it's it's a bad idea, and I'm not going to get into all of that. But but basically, don't make rules that you're that you're not willing to enforce, or you're not going to enforce. So if I'm going to make, you know, this rule that you have to keep these XP separate, and you can only use it for certain things, then I kind of have to to track that, right? I kind of have to keep an eye on it and make sure that the players are doing that. Not to say that the players would knowingly break that rule. But it's just, it's complicated, right? And you want to make sure that they're doing it right. Um, because you don't want one player doing something different from what the other players are doing and, and things get out of balance or it causes problems. You know, kind of the same thing. If, if I have a new player that's never played before, when they're done making their character, I go over it. And just to make sure, did they, you know, did they spend all their ability points? Did they remember to spend those six points you get to put wherever? And do they have enough skills and things like that? And honestly, more often I've found mistakes where a player didn't have something that they should have as opposed to someone having things that they, they shouldn't have. And the nice thing about the cipher system is this is super easy to do. When I used to run Pathfinder, oh my God going through a new Pathfinder character to make sure every you know all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed for a new player was a pain in the ass. And I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. So I quickly realized that, that I don't want to keep track of this and I don't want to 
you know, I don't want to have to come to a player and say, hey, you know, you spent this XP for advancement. And actually, that was XP I gave you as an intrusion and you shouldn't have done that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. I am way too old to babysit for my players. And my players are too old to be babysat. I mean, we're all adults here. It seems really ridiculous. It also adds unneeded complexity to the game, which I'm sure you know by now I am very much against. That's usually my first argument about just about every house rule I see people come up with is you're adding complexity to the game. It's not needed. If it's not broke, don't fix it. This complexity you're adding is not adding anything to the game except more complexity. And complexity for complexity's sake is is not good. And most house rules I see... That's what it is. It's like this person thinks this thing is quote unquote broken or wrong with the game and they try to fix it and it just gets messy. And it's like, no, <laughs> keep it simple. You shouldn't have to hand your your players a, a page of house rules like we did in second edition D&D. I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, we have these habits because we've played games in the past that were broken or that weren't uh, well thought out and you had to come up with house rules to fix them but but Numenera isn't like that and and most games I see these days are not like that games are just better designed than they used to be but anyway that's a tangent I'm getting on a tangent don't do that so yeah so I don't want to track it I don't want to enforce it I don't want to be that GM that's going to micromanage you as a player right I wouldn't want to be in in that game myself as a player so I don't want to be that GM And another thing is it really seems like the short-term rewards that you get for 2 XP aren't worth it. (laughs) And this really came out for me as a player. I I was playing a Matt DeCray's game and we were in a Numenera complex and I'd kind of, you know, I kind of had a strategy because we just entered this complex and and Matt had told us, you know, you, you might be here for a while. It's pretty expansive. And I was like, well, this is a great time to spend some XP to get one of those short-term things. Cause I'm, I'm a very strong believer in, you know, practice what you preach. And, and I'm like, here I am on the show telling people that you should force your players to, to get these two XP things. So I damn well better as a player be doing that or I'm a hypocrite, right? <laughs> Which is the worst possible thing to be. So I was like, here's a great opportunity. We're going to be here for a while. I'm going to get my money's worth out of this two XP. And right there is an indication that should have turned the light bulb on that, hey, this is this is bullshit. This 2XP stuff isn't worth it because here I am trying to finagle a way to like get my money's worth. I'm like, well, I got to do it right when we enter the complex. You know, I can't wait till the second session because then I'm not going to get my money's worth, right? I mean, right there's an indication that something's, something's not right here, but I didn't clue into it at that point. So I said to Matt, my GM, I'm like, okay, um, I've got 4XP here and... I want to know if it's okay that I spend two XP in it because I'm I'm already trained in the Numenera because my character's a nano. I said I want to spend two XP to become specialized in the Numenera in this particular facility. And Matt kind of looked at me and he's like, why would you do that when you could spend four XP and be specialized in Numenera everywhere? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, totally. Why would I do that? This doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. And the only reason I am doing it is... Because I said on the show that this is what you should do and I don't want to be a hypocrite. And well, maybe I was wrong. (laughs) And it's not being a hypocrite if you admit that you're wrong, right? But anyway, so I went ahead and, and, and the other thing was I don't like not having any XP. I'm, I'm a strong believer and, and I always have XP. I, I never 
have zero XP unless it's a brand new character. Because even though I've never, ever refused a GM intrusion, ever, not once, I want to have that option. But more importantly, I want to be able to make a reroll if I need to. And in fact, I like to have two or three XP at a minimum to make rerolls because a lot of times one isn't enough. A lot of times it takes two or three XP to get that that roll you need. So I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm just going to spend the four XP. I'll be at zero XP for a while, but I'm not super worried about it because Matt's really good at handing out GM intrusions. And I know I'll get an intrusion probably within the first hour of the game. And I'm not going to refuse it because I don't refuse intrusions. And I'll get an XP then, and then I'll be fine, and I can make a re-roll. And until then, I'll just have to suck it up and deal with whatever I roll and just spend effort, you know? So so I ended up getting Specialized in Numenera all over the place, and I'm very happy with that. And I'm, I have no doubt that if I would have spent 2 XP and gotten Specialization in Numenera in that facility, then the next place we went to... I would have had a very feel-bad moment where I'd have been like, you know what, now I have to either spend another 2 XP to be specialized here in the Numenera, and obviously this is a a losing thing, like, you know, (laughs) this is not a good investment because now the next place I'm going to have to spend another 2 XP, and at that point I've spent 6 XP to get something limited that I could have gotten for 4 XP and it applies everywhere. And I would have had a feel-bad moment and been like, you know what, I should have just gotten the 4 XP thing back before, and now I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. I'd be specialized anywhere I go, and I would have been one step closer to the next tier and being able to do that next cool thing that I can do with my focus, which for me is really what tearing up is, is about. That's why I want to tear up. I don't so much care about being powerful. With my beginning tier one character, I felt plenty powerful. I felt like... You know, I could handle pretty much anything that came my way. It's not about, oh, I want to be more powerful like it is in like D&D or Pathfinder, um, where, you know, you start out those games, first level character, I mean, you suck and you're lucky if you live to see second level. And so you're very motivated to become more powerful so that your character can start to be the thing that you envisioned when you created the character, right? Because you can't create the character you want at first level in a game like D&D or Pathfinder. But Numenera and the Strange aren't like that. Your character is cool in the very beginning. And the reason I want to tear up, for instance, my Bozzie and Nano, who fuses mind to machine, is because I get some cool abilities with my focus at higher tier. Or maybe there's an esoteric that I can't get until tier three that, that I really, I'm really looking forward to being able to do this thing. And that's why. And, and I could definitely see getting to a point where maybe I'm tier three or tier four or something. And I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I, I have these abilities I was really looking forward to. And yeah, there's cool things later down the road, but I'm not in any hurry to get there. And if, you know, the whole XP thing were just about getting more powerful at that point, I would be spending XP on other things other than advancement because I was happy with where I was at. And I don't need to get more powerful. My, my nano is tier two. And I'm plenty powerful. And in fact, the last advancement I got, or no, I take, no, actually the first advancement I got after tier two was a skill, was that Numenera specialty, because I was like, I've got plenty of pool. I, you know, if I'm getting low on pool, it's because, you know, the shit's going down and I should be getting low on pool. I don't feel like I need more pool. I don't really feel like I need more edge. Although three intellect edge is nice to have. 
but I can I can do one level of effort for one intellect. That's not bad. I'm I'm okay with that. I, I don't feel like I need more edge, and and I'm gonna die if I don't have more edge like right now. But anyway, I dig I digress. <laughs> so I I don't feel these short term rewards are worth it. And I think if you look at your experiences in the game, and if you're a GM, you look at what's going on with your players, or if you're a player, you look at what's going on with the other players. Your experience will bear this out. And there's there's a couple reasons for this. Like I just said, why would you spend two XP to be specialized, for instance, in the Numenera in one facility for maybe a few sessions at best, when for just two more XP, you can be specialized in all Numenera everywhere? Like, why would you do that? You wouldn't. That doesn't make any sense. And there's two reasons for this. One is called cost-benefit analysis. And the other one is our love of instant gratification. <laughs> and both of these things, uh, and I'm going to walk you through this, but both of these things argue that the two XP benefits are just not worth it. So first of all, cost-benefit analysis. And if you've never heard this term before, it's very simple. Cost-benefit analysis is something that we as humans do all the time. We have evolved to be very, very good at cost-benefit analysis. This helps us to survive. And, and not only did it help us to survive in, in the olden times before technology, but it still helps us today. And this is, it's exactly what it says. You are analyzing the cost of something versus the benefit you're going to get for it. Another way to say it is bang for your buck, right? Um, this thing I want, is it worth what I'm going to have to go through to get it in order to have it? And our brains have evolved to do this instantaneously, automatically, and most of the time, unconsciously. And this is something that, that we know through uh, not only biology, but anthropology. So anthropologists have, have done a lot of studies where they will go to a quote-unquote primitive society where people are sustenance-based lifestyle, where maybe they're, they're hunters and gatherers is, is a perfect example. So, so take a hunter-gatherer society. They're not even farming. They go out and they hunt for their food and they gather nuts and berries and things like that. They haven't even gotten to the point where they've figured out or decided to plant things and grow things like gardens or, or fields or whatever. They're, they're just going out and getting their food. So anthropologists would go and study these people and they're using like science to study what these people who a lot of times may not even have a written language. I mean, they have a language, but they don't have reading and writing. They're studying what these people are doing, right? And they're, they're saying, okay, they go out and they go on a hunt, let's say, okay? So they go out and for X amount of hours, they go out and they hunt down this particular prey. They kill it and they bring it back for the village to eat. And the scientists, the anthropologists, will figure out how many kilocalories per hour these hunters are spending from, you know, the, the running and the climbing and the jumping and just your basic metabolism. How, how much does it cost them in calories, in energy, to go out and hunt down that animal and bring it back? And then they would compare that to the number of calories that they get from eating the animal. And, and you know what anthropologists have found again and again and again and again is when they analyze that in that way, 
and they look at all the possible animals that the people could be hunting, they find that the animal that they are hunting is the animal that gives them the best ratio of calories coming in versus calories going out. So what is the animal that that when you look at how much energy you're going to get from eating this thing that you can get for the lowest cost? And every single time, that is the animal they're hunting. Now, obviously, these people have, they don't have a concept of higher mathematics. They're not going through these complicated equations and figuring kilocalories per hour to figure out what is the best thing to hunt. But that's what they're doing. They're doing cost-benefit analysis, and they are finding the most bang for their buck. For the amount of time and effort they spend, what's the biggest return they can get? So, of course, the first thing you wonder is, is how do they do this? How do they figure out this out? They don't have calculators. They don't draw graphs. How, how do they figure this out? And, you know, who knows for sure, but it stands to reason that, that they do it through trial and error over time, over generations, you know, different different hunters will go out and hunt different things and, and certain families will do better than others. And, you know, knowledge is passed from one generation to the next. And over time, they figure out what's the best thing to do in their particular environment. And animals do this too. So this is something that, that we've evolved to survive. And our brains are really, really good at this. And we do this in all aspects of our lives, including in gaming. And so when, when a player, and, and not just one player, but when pretty much every player is turning down those 2 XP bonuses... To, to save up for the 4 XP advancement, it stands to reason that, that they've done cost-benefit analysis and they've all come up with the same answer, which is the 4 XP is more bang for my buck than the 2 XP is. And the other thing that goes in with this is the, <laughs> the idea of instant gratification, which is to say that we as humans, we will favor instant gratification over delayed gratification. And you see this all around you. It's not hard to find examples of this. Um, we, you know, we have to take classes and be taught how to plan long-term and how to save money and plan for your retirement and things like that, because we are concerned about the here and now. We are concerned about concrete things that we can see and touch and feel, and we will value something that gets us ahead today over something that's going to get us ahead someday in the future. And that's just human nature. And again, you look at what players are doing and they are turning down this 2 XP reward that they could have right now in favor of a 4 XP reward that they might have to wait till the next session to get. And that goes against the whole instant gratification thing. So it must really be worth it to get that 4XP thing if they're going to deny themselves instant gratification right now to wait for this thing in the future. So again, I think that this is because we all do this little calculation in our heads and we've all come to the same answer, which is the 4XP advancement is much more worth it than the 2XP temporary thing. Now, obviously, there, there are some exceptions to that. For instance, if you are in an area where spending 2XP to learn the local language will be really, really helpful. But at least in, in my games and the games I've played in, you know, those situations are, are the exception. And unless the GM really crafts the story to create that, they don't happen all that often. Now, I would say that the 3XP benefits 
are probably worth it. And I have definitely seen more PCs get 3 XP benefits and I've seen them get to 2 XP benefits. But they're also, by their nature, they tend to be things that a given player isn't going to get more than maybe a couple or a few times in the life of their character. And, and these are things like creating an artifact or getting a bunch of money or getting a contact or something like that. And, and just by the nature of what these things are, they're the kind of things that, you know, a player might get for their character a, a couple times in their career, but they're not going to be every session getting a three XP benefit or at least most players won't in, in my experience. So so that's all, you know, part of my thinking behind this this shift in in my opinion on this. And another part of it, like I mentioned before, is I like to say yes to my players. And I think that Numenera and the Strange with their more focus on narrative as as opposed to systems mastery that they seem to be games that share this philosophy of saying yes to your players. So so why are you going to sit there and tell them what they can and can't spend their XP for? You know, why why do that? That that runs counter to that philosophy. And I also don't think that I should force my players to spend XP on things that we both know aren't worth it or aren't worth it as much as the 4 XP. I mean, I am I am forcing them to go against evolution and buy the less important thing and, and basically waste their XP, which is a limited resource. I, I should not do that. In all my experience running and playing Numenera and The Strange, I see players spend XP for rerolls all the time, but I hardly ever see them buy the 2 XP benefits and I seldom see them buy the 3 XP benefits and I think this is very telling. As I said, gamers are smart and they know it's not worth it. Now again I I think the 3 XP benefits are a little different. I I think they are worth it but they're just not things you're going to be getting all the time. So that's kind of where I'm coming from and and that's why I've decided that from now on in all my games I am not going to control how players spend their XP And if anything, the fact that players aren't playing the game the way they're quote unquote supposed to is a reflection on how the game is designed and not a fault of the players. And I think that if we really want them not to advance or not to spend their XP on advancement, then, you know, then we should have designed the game from the beginning to have two different kinds of XP. And and I've seen some GMs do this where they'll even call the XP that they give in-game through GM Intrusion something other than XP. And I guess that's a way that you can do it, um, but it's awkward and it adds complexity to the game. And I just, I don't think it matters. I don't, I, I think we just need to let go of this idea of how we think the players are supposed to spend their XP and just take a Sharpie and just cross that sentence out of the book. Because what do we care? You know, we're here to tell a story together what do we care if it takes the players three weeks or four weeks to get to tier two who cares it doesn't matter you know we say again and again how this game is not about game balance it's not about combat these things don't matter like they do in D D or or a game like that in the uh, character options book we have options for what a pc can do once they reach tier tier six they can keep getting new skills they can keep advancing uh, beyond that so there's no quote-unquote cap 
on the game. You're not going to come to a point where it's like, oh, well, everybody's tier six. We have to stop playing now. Now, maybe it will be a little more difficult for the GM to find challenges for the characters when they're tier six or beyond. But again, it, it doesn't really matter. This game isn't about overcoming encounters in that way. It's it's about telling a story and having players play characters that eventually become so well-connected and so powerful and so knowledgeable in the Numenera that things are, are usually easy for them and, and they're able to do great things without much trouble can be a fun story. And there's there's nothing wrong with that and and again i think a lot of these issues are from baggage that we're bringing over to this game from other games and and ways of thinking that we've learned in other games that just it doesn't apply to the cipher system so personally i am just forgetting that sentence about how the players are supposed to spend their xp uh the players can spend the xp however they want and it's all good i'm here to have fun not to uh police my players (laughs) and tell them how to spend their xp while I was thinking of all this, I thought of an idea. And, you know, there are people out there that love their house rules. So here's a possible house rule for you if you if you got to add stuff to the game. And uh, this doesn't complicate things really at all. And, and I, think it's, I think it's pretty cool. So how about the idea of spending two or maybe three XP to declare a story element? So this would be kind of like what you can do with fate points in the fate system or what you can do with destiny points in the Star Wars games by Fantasy Flight Games, which I've grown to love and am having a lot of fun with. So basically what you can do is in Star Wars, you can spend a destiny point to declare, as a player, declare something in the story to make something true in the story. So I think that this would work really well as something that players can do with 2 XP in the Cypher system. If you feel like 2 XP is a little too cheap, you could make it 3 XP instead. Or you could decide on a case-by-case basis whether it's 2 or 3 XP, depending on what the player wants to do. Personally, I think if I was going to do this, I would just do 2 XP. I just think it fits the system better because the 3 XP things are, are like permanent things, like getting an artifact or getting a contact or getting a house. You know, they're permanent things that aren't tied into character advancement, where the 2 XP things are more little temporary bonuses you can get. And I I think that this fits in well with it. And and also, I wouldn't let PCs do something with this that would break the game, you know, so I'm not worried about it needing to cost more than 2 XP. So an example is, let's say, and this actually happened in one of my games recently, let's say that the PCs are out in the field doing their thing, and for some reason, they need a shovel. They need to dig a hole or they need to dig a trench or something like that. And they look through their gear and they look into their, their trusty explorer's pack. And lo and behold, there is no shovel in the explorer's pack. And they're like, crap, we need a shovel. We don't have one. And so what my PCs ended up doing in, in my game is just using improvised tools to dig a hole. They use digging sticks, which uh, people used for a long time before they invented shovels. And they work pretty well. Not as well as a shovel, obviously, but they work pretty well. But this would be a perfect example of a way that they could declare a story element. So you could have a player say, well, I just assumed that there would be a shovel in an explorer's pack. It, it seems like, you know, when soldiers 
carry their gear, you know, like infantry, they have a shovel because you have to dig holes every day to do certain bodily functions if you're going to be sanitary. And uh, it seems like, you know, this is something that should be in the Explorer's Pack. I assumed it was. My character is the kind of character who knows how to survive outside of cities and things like that on the road or in the wilderness. And my character would totally have a shovel. I just as a player neglected to say he has a shovel and write it down on a sheet. So in that case, the player can say, I'm going to spend two XP and I'm going to declare that my character has a shovel and he's had a shovel all along, even though it wasn't on my character sheet. The player spends two XP and boom, they've got a shovel and they always had a shovel. It just never became important to the story until this point. So I think that's really cool. And it's nice because then the the PCs don't have to worry so much about that kind of bookkeeping stuff. And, oh, we're in a town. Let's think of every possible piece of gear we might need and buy it and carry all this crap around. If they really need something like a shovel, they can just spend some XP and, and they have a shovel and the game goes on. And personally, I tend to let my players do this kind of thing anyway, if it makes sense and it isn't a big deal and it's not, you know, bringing balance issues into play or anything like that. Um, But with this system, I don't have to agonize over it so much because they're paying for it, right? It's an XP sink if we even need such a thing, but, but they're paying for it. They're paying one of their resources to have this thing. So then I don't have to worry about, oh, is it unfair to let them have the shovel that they didn't pay for, that they didn't say ahead of time that they were going to have. And it's also cool because it gives the players even more agency in the story. And we're already doing this in Numenera by letting them decide what happens on their major and minor effects and encouraging them to be very descriptive and describing their actions and exactly how they're doing them and then giving them assets for that. So I think this really fits in the spirit of the game. I'm honestly really surprised that it's not in there. I don't know why. There are so many similarities between the Cypher system and the Fate system and the Edge of the Empire system. Why this this wasn't put in, I don't know. But it's a very easy little house rule that you as a GM can make. So let them for 2 XP declare a story element. And and again, this this should be something relatively small. You know, something, it shouldn't be like a combat related thing. Like, oh, I have this weapon now or something like that. It should be more of a storytelling aid or just something of convenience like having a shovel it's it's not like you can't dig a hole without a shovel right it's just harder and more tedious and takes longer so it doesn't break the game to let them have a shovel especially if they're going to pay a resource for it i like to occasionally in the opening segment ask you the listener a question so i have a question for you that's come out of this discussion uh let's come up with an improved explorers pack I am sure that some of you, like me, have come up with instances in your game where you find some very common item that really should be in the Explorer's Pack and isn't, like a shovel. And so let's let's come up with some stuff. What are some things that you've noticed in your game that you were really shocked to find isn't in the Explorer's Pack and you really think would be? It's just a basic piece of survival gear or travel gear. So there's a couple different ways we could go with this, depending on how many things we come up with and and what they are, is we could just say, well, we've just improved the Explorer's Pack in the book and listed these things that are obviously in the Explorer's Pack and just weren't listed in the book for some reason and were just omitted erroneously. So 
every explorer's pack in my world now has a shovel and they don't cost any more. <laughs> I'm not changing anything about the pack. It's just there's a shovel in it now. It's not a big deal. Or, you know, depending how involved this gets, what we could do is come up with an actual improved explorer's pack that exists in the world that costs more money but is more extensive. And you see things like this in in the real world. For instance, if you want to go buy a first aid kit, there's not just one first aid kit out there. You can spend anywhere from $15 to a couple hundred dollars on a first aid kit, depending on what all it has in it. So it makes sense that in the ninth world, we might have improved explorers packs that have more extensive selection of tools and gear. And what would those have in them? So if you have any suggestions for what you think should be in an explorer's pack, let me know. It'd be fun to see what everybody comes up with. And depending how many we get, maybe we'll we'll create a new item for that. Or maybe we'll just add a few things like shovels to the regular explorer's pack. Under the Lens, the Cypher System. For Under the Lens today, I thought I would talk a little bit about the tactics of whether or not to spend effort on things like speed defense. And this is something I've brought up before on the show, but I thought it would be fun to really dig into it. And this idea came to me because a gentleman named Mark Wyand, I believe is how you say that, could be wrong, asked about this on Google+, Plus, basically whether or not to spend effort on speed defense. Is it, from a tactical point of view, is it is it a good idea to do? Because you're basically spending points from one pool to avoid losing points in another pool. And depending on how you look at that or what the situation is, that may or may not be a smart thing to do. So Matt DeCray, my my Numenera GM, weighed in on this and he made some good points. And his first point, which I completely agree with, is that it a lot of it depends on how much edge you have. If you can put effort into, say, speed defense and it's only going to cost you one or two points, then it's probably worth it. So if you have a one or two edge in speed defense, then you know, you're getting a discount basically. Even if let, let's say you're you're facing an attack that's gonna do three damage. So if you just let it hit you, you would or well not just let it hit you, but if you just rolled your speed defense raw without any effort and it did hit you, you would lose three might, right? Well if you don't have any edge in speed defense and that's all that's involved is you're gonna take three might damage, then it doesn't really make a lot of sense to guaranteed lose three speed to effort this roll. And then you still might still lose three might because it doesn't, unless you drop the difficulty to zero, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to succeed on that roll. Right. And even if you do, you still lost three speed instead of three might now. Okay. It gets more complicated, right? Because, well, what if your might is at three? And if you lose that three might, now you're going to be going down the damage track and maybe you're impaired now and you've got some penalties. So that's an instance where you might rather lose three speed, even if it's even, right? But as soon as edge comes into play, well, now you're getting a discount because maybe it's only going to cost you one or two speed to effort as opposed to losing three might because you don't get a discount to might damage from edge although you do from armor of course but again matt says it depends on the exact situation which is true he also says that that versus a difficulty six he doesn't think it's worth it because he knows he's going to fail that role anyway and 
basically he'd be taking six might damage and three speed for the effort just to get a slightly better chance at not losing the might it's not worth it and and i'd agree because you know spending one effort on a difficulty six roll you still need to roll a 15 or higher on a 20 sided which is highly unlikely to happen it's what a 15 percent chance difference and in in that instance it's probably not worth it but he points out that there are other things that kind of make this more complicated like for instance if you roll a 20 you get all your points you spent back on effort you can use xp to re-roll and sometimes you just get lucky so i agree with with everything matt said there and i thought i would add a, f- a few things on top of that another thing that is a big factor of this is a lot of times it's not just a simple question of math because a lot of creatures in this game are going to do far worse things to you than the actual damage they do if they hit you. So a creature, when it hits you, it might grapple you, and then now it's going to get free damage against you without an attack roll every turn after that, or you're going to have to make some kind of roll to get away from it. It might automatically put you a step down the damage track instead of doing damage or in addition to doing damage. It could do speed or intellect damage instead of might, which could be really bad for you depending on on where your pools are at. The damage might ignore your armor, which could lead you to taking more damage than you think you will because you're thinking, oh, well, I've got three armor. This is a level three creature. It probably won't do any damage to me. Or if it does, it won't do much. But if its damage ignores armor, you end up taking a lot more than you planned on. It could poison you, which could cause you to lose more pool or from a different pool, or it could cause you to go down the damage track or fall unconscious or get a harmful mutation. Basically, the possibilities are endless for bad things that could happen when something hits you. And if you just flip through the bestiary for the ninth world, you will see lots of examples of creatures that do things to you when they hit you above and beyond whatever damage they do. And a lot of times, you know, like I said, the damage isn't that bad. It's the other stuff that comes with it. So I usually argue that if if you're playing a character who's facing something in the ninth world or probably in the strange as well, and you, you don't know what that thing is, you've never fought it before, you probably want to be spending effort on speed defense to not get hit because you don't know what it's going to do to you when it hits you and you probably don't want to find out. Now, if you're facing a foe you've fought before, you may then feel that you know what to expect and you can decide whether it's safe to just not spend effort and maybe get hit. So maybe you're fighting a, a certain creature and you've fought it before and when you fought it before and you got hit, all it did was damage. And you're like, okay, so I, I have an idea how much damage it does. That's all it does is damage. And in this instance, I, I decide that it's better to just risk taking that damage as opposed to spending pool from my speed to better my odds of not getting hit. But even then, I would urge caution. For one thing, many creatures in both games have additional horrific things that they can do to you via a GM intrusion. And it's possible that when you face this thing before, for whatever reason, the GM just didn't use that. Maybe he felt that the the creature was already a good enough challenge and, and didn't want to risk killing your character or just going over the top by using this GM intrusion. Or maybe your GM just felt it, it just didn't fit to use it at that time. So this creature could have something really terrible that it can do as a GM intrusion 
that may not happen until it hits you. And then the GM says, oh, well, you're just going to take the hit. Well, okay, I have a GM intrusion. And also, even if that isn't in the monster entry in the, the bestiary or the core book, the GM can always come up with something like that on the fly or could have something prepared that makes this, this creature a little different than, than the stock creature in the core book. And it's, it's recommended that the GM do this to keep players on their toes and to keep things interesting and weird and, and to keep the, the, the PCs from feeling like they've got things figured out to occasionally have some creature that they've encountered many times before do something they've never seen before via a GM intrusion. And maybe it's something that all those creatures can do and they just don't often do it. Or maybe it's something special about that particular creature. Maybe it has a cipher that it can use. So personally, for me as a GM, I really value role play here over tactics, right? This isn't a strategy war game. It's not a miniatures game. I would much rather see my players play their characters to the hill as opposed to metagaming or, you know, moving their pieces on the board and deciding what combination of abilities would make the most sense. Like, I don't want to see that. If I wanted to see that, I'd play Pathfinder. But anyway, I'd rather see them play their characters and I will reward them for playing their characters. And and I will especially reward them for role-playing their character in a way that is true to their character and maybe maybe leads them to do something that's not tactically smart, that the player knows isn't tactically smart, but they choose to do it anyway because that's what their character would do. I might reward that. At the very least, I'm not going to punish them for it. I'm not going to let them die because of it, unless I have something planned. <laughs> but I'm going to reward that because that's what I want to see, right? And and as GMs, you know, we reinforce behavior that we want to see and we try to discourage behavior that we don't want to see. It's very simple psychology. So I, I don't like metagaming. I don't like to see PCs making decisions just based on combat math. And if I see a player doing that a lot that would probably be a great time for me to surprise them with some GM intrusion when they decide to not spend effort and just take a hit because they're metagaming and they're like, well, I know because I read the bestiary that this creature only does four damage and it doesn't do anything special. So I'm not going to spend speed because I, as a player, know that I don't need to. That would be a perfect time for the GM to say, oh, oh, you're just going to get hit. Okay, well, GM intrusion, this particular creature does this horrific thing that you've never seen before. Now you can make a might defense roll. (laughs) And this is also a great way to remind them that nothing is certain or completely understood in the ninth world. And even what you see in the bestiary isn't guaranteed and it's not necessarily everything about that particular creature it's just a lot of times what's known and there may be a lot more to it that people don't know i also and i've kind of touched on this but i expect players to properly role play the difference between character knowledge and player knowledge just because the player recognizes the creature from the bestiary and knows it inside and out and knows it doesn't have any horrific effects that it does in addition to damage doesn't mean that the character has ever seen that thing before and knows anything about it. So again, if I catch players breaking the fourth wall in this way and having their characters make decisions that don't make sense based on knowledge that they as a player have, that's a perfect time to surprise them with some new ability the creature has via a GM intrusion. So like a lot of things, uh, you know, there's not a simple black or white 
answer to this, you know, yes, you should only spend pool for speed defense or no, you never should. It's very, very situational. But I think I've given you uh, with some help from Matt, I think I've given you some some things to think about and some ways to weigh for yourself what you want to do. Again, it's not just the damage it does, but but other possible effects that could come with that. And, you know, again, I would really urge you as a player to focus more on role play and be in character in, in your character facing this thing. What would they do? Would they would they just kind of half half acidly, you know, try to not get hit or would they really be trying for all they're worth not to get hit and you know you look at the illustrations of a lot of the creatures in Numenera and I don't think you'd be wanting that thing to hit you I don't think you'd want to find out what it may or may not do to you if it gets a hold of you so I think a lot of times it's very much in character to spend that speed defense unless of course your your pool is really low at that point your your character's worn out you're tired and and maybe you know, you you have this sense of, okay, I've got a little bit of juice left, but but I'm going to save it in case I, you know, I need to run for my life or something. You know, I'm, I'm not going to completely exhaust myself, even though it might be a good idea not to get hit by this thing. I think that you can be strategic and use good tactics without getting into metagaming and, and while still staying in character. GM Intrusions Wrap Up. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 54 of GM Intrusions. Again, look for the next Obsidian Monolith coming hopefully later this week. I'm going to be talking about the first adventure for the campaign and the town I came up with. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, That will probably, I'm thinking it will go over two episodes of the Obsidian Monolith because it's quite a bit to cover. But I'll I'll get as much as I I can done uh, in the next episode and then one or two episodes left in this season of GM Intrusions. And then I will be taking a one or two week break to prepare for the new season and get things started off. Now, one thing that I've thought about is I might, like I just said, the, the next uh, bit of things I want to talk about in the next Obsidian Monolith might be too much for one episode and may go over two episodes. So what I may do is I may actually record the the sixth episode of the obsidian monolith to give you over that that downtime so you might actually get two obsidian monoliths kind of rapid fire which usually i only put those out once a month but uh we'll see we'll see how it turns out i I haven't uh completely recorded that one yet so i'm I'm not sure how long it's going to be but but it's looking like it's going to be too much for one episode so we'll see i i will try to minimize the downtime as much as i can if you would like to get a hold of me, you can email me at lexstarwalker at gmail.com. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at lexstarwalker. Please call the voicemail if you have questions or comments about the show, 626-LEX-GMI1. Please go to the website, starwalkerstudios.com slash GM intrusions. There's lots of good stuff there, lots of good information. In addition to all the things I talked about today and in previous episodes, you can find a lot of helpful links to our Facebook group, our forum, and our Google Plus community page. And if you would like to support the show, there are a lot of great ways you can do so. Uh, For one, you could get an Obsidian Monolith t-shirt. And again, those are available till the 13th or 14th of October. 
So check those out. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, you could also leave a review on iTunes or a rating if you don't have time to write a review. And I really thank and appreciate everyone who's left reviews and ratings. It helps with the visibility of the show on iTunes. You can find a link to our Patreon page also on the website at starwalkerstudios.com slash GM Intrusions. And you can learn about becoming a patron of the show. And finally, you could also support the show by signing up for a free trial of Audible. And you can do that at audibletrial.com slash GM Intrusions. You get one free book. And you could, for instance, get Gene Wolfe's The Shadow of the Torturer and get started in his Book of the New Sun series, which is really good and was a huge inspiration for the ninth world of Numenera. So for our intrusion this week, I want to thank Mr. David Crockett, who submitted this intrusion. In a combat deep within a dark ruin, a PC rolls a one. His sword misses his opponent and stabs into the wall. His sword is stuck, but lights come on all over the complex. (laughs) And David says, then he watches the PCs discuss whether or not to pull the sword back out. So this is great, and (laughs) I love this. And this is a great example of an intrusion to use on a roll of of a one and and kind of putting a spin on what otherwise might be kind of a ho-hum intrusion of, oh, your sword gets stuck in something put a little twist on it and it suddenly becomes something really interesting and new. And again, this furthers the story because as David says here, they they have to decide uh, these lights coming on, was this a good thing or a bad thing? What do we do now? And that's what I love about intrusions is, is when they can lead to something new and interesting happening in the story and you never know what's going to come next. So once again, thank you so much for listening to the show and supporting the show in all the many ways you do so. I really appreciate it. It's been a great year. I've had a lot of fun making this show, and I'm really looking forward to starting season two. So once again, I am Lex Starwalker, and this has been AGM Intrusion. This has been a Starwalker Studios production, your source for quality science, science fiction, and fantasy podcasts. This episode's music provided by Ish, Cloudwalker, Renfield, and Transport. Please see the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com. I'm awesome.